So this morning, the title of my message is Getting the Dirt Out. And we all love those cleaning products that are good at getting the dirt out. Lincoln especially, I ask him to go to the shop to get milk and bread and he comes back with bleach and detergent. Forgets the milk and, ble- and bread. Thank you, Lincoln. The other day he actually, he said to me, they should make a, a body spray, a bleach smell. And he, he thinks that would be awesome. I don't know. I tell him that it would make my eyes bleed because of the fumes. But we all like cleaning products that get the dirt out. But what about the inside of us? How do we get the dirt out of us? And Jesus said in Matthew 23 that to the Pharisees, he was saying, you guys clean the outside of your cup and your dish, but you forget the inside that's filled with greed and self-indulgence. He was pretty harsh, eh? He said to the Pharisees, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You're nice and clean on the inside, but it's like dead bones in the bottom. Nice and clean on the outside, but it's like dead bones on the inside and everything unclean. What about for us today? You know, I've seen Lincoln siphon diesel out of a diesel tank before, and he sucks it, and then sometimes he gets a little bit in his mouth, and it's a bit yuck. But I came across a story of a man who was trying to siphon diesel, steal it from a camper van. Only he got the wrong compartment, and he siphoned it from the sewage compartment. (laughs) The next day, the people woke up, and they found the siphon hose and an empty diesel container, The sewage had seeped out, and they found a pool of what looked like vomit on the ground. Disgusting, eh? That's not the way we get the dirt out, is it? Not by stealing, not by sucking it out. There is a way to get the dirt out. So that's like sin. Sin, it's satisfying for a season, says Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. It's satisfying for a season, but it doesn't last. It's like that thief. He was so excited about getting um, benefit from this. He was going to take some diesel. He was going to profit for it, from it, but it only left him with a yuck taste in his mouth. We think sin gives us a kick, but it only really gives us a kickback, a big, a big boot, really. So we all know what sin is. It's missing the mark, and we all know that picture of the, the archer who aims for the target and misses. That's what sin was. It was also a term used for someone walking down the road and, and went off track and got lost. That's sin. So the Bible, this is my Bible, it's our target, it's our map. God gives us guidelines, not because he wants to withhold joy from us, but it's because he knows what's best for us. He knows the best way for us to live, and he asks us to turn from sin, to flee from sin. It's the best way for us to live. So I can remember as a young person struggling with a big sin, and I couldn't shake it. I tried everything, and I even heard a preacher one day talking about sin, and I know he was giving us some tools, but all I really took from that was when he said that everyone struggles with one big sin. And I was thinking, oh, that's such a shame if everyone, even the preacher, then there's no hope for me, so what's the point? I think he was well-meaning in what he was saying, but I took the wrong way, and I was bound in my sin for quite a long time until I realized how to get the dirt out. And well-meaning preachers today, when they share the gospel, they tell us that we probably will still struggle with sin all the time, and I know that God's grace is amazing, God's grace is abounding, but I think that we need to reword it somehow, because we might give the wrong idea, we might give a license to sin. I like the way Paul puts it in Romans, at the end of Romans 5, he's saying that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. When there's heaps of sin, there's heaps of grace, and that's awesome, but he doesn't leave us there, and we've got, 
Romans 6 verse 1 up here. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, certainly not, no way. He says he doesn't leave us there. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or maybe we need to be like John. He is super brutal on the subject, and I kind of wish I never read the book of 1 John. Chapter 3, we've got it up there. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. So how do we go from from what some Christians are telling us, that you'll always sin, it's okay, just ask for forgiveness, that's all right, to if you sin, you're of the devil. There's this big gap. How do we get people or ourselves from here all the way over to here? We're going to read a story, and we're going to stay in this story. Judges chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. Verses 12 to 22. It's going to be up here, but if you like bringing your Bibles, I think that's awesome. Okay. I'm going to read from my Bible. We're in Judges. This is the story of Ehud. Verse 12. Again... The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel. They took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud. A left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with a tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword, about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very, (coughs) cough, cough, fat man. Harsh. Verse 18. 18. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us. And they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. And the king rose from his seat. Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sunk in after the blade, and his bowels discharged. I love the detail in the story. It's awesome. Blood and guts. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. It's probably my favorite story in the Bible. And 
I searched the internet to find the most detailed picture I could find of the story. It's awesome, eh? We're going to camp in the story for a bit. So if you want to go back to verse 12, I love every detail about it, even the blood, even the guts. So we're back at verse 12. Again, everybody say, again. Again. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. So Israel has been disciplined by God. After Moses died, Joshua became the Israelites' leader. After Joshua died, we see this terrible pattern where Israel turns away from God and does evil, and then God has to somehow get them back on track. And it happens over and over again, again and again. And so he uses the surrounding nations to discipline Israel. I thought to myself, couldn't God just sort of love them back? And I had a good think about it and realized that he already had. He already had poured out his love. He already had delivered them from Egypt. He already had killed the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. He'd already provided for them. He already had, for 40 years, their clothes and their sandals didn't wear out. He'd poured out their love on on Israel. So he's got two options now. He can let them go turn away from him and go down a path that leads to their destruction and he might lose them forever or he can discipline them like a father would discipline his children. We read that in Hebrews 12, 6, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So verse 13, getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel and they took possession of the city of Palms The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. So at the moment, I'm in love with the Hebrew language, like the ancient Hebrew language. Really, if we could go to slide 17. Number 18, I wanted to know what this means, because I love every detail that the Bible has for us. So this is the alphabet. It reads from left to right. So Aleph is number one, and then it goes along like that. So every letter in the alphabet has a value, but also the ancient Hebrew, they drew little pictures, which I love. So we've got number 10 is an arm. So 18, 10, and 8. 10 plus 8 is 18. The arm arm means work. Where's 8? Number 8. Number 8 is a fence. So it's like to work or to build a fence. 18 means oppression. 18 means bondage. The Israelites have been in bondage for 18 years. We're going to go back to, oh no, we can stay there, that's cool. So this new oppressor, he's made Israel um, in, in bondage to him and the surrounding nations. They set up camp in the city of Palms, which was Jericho. Now Jericho, have you been there, Pastor Paul? They say it's quite um, lush, there's a stream, there's lots of um, vegetation, fruit, vegetables. It's a perfect spot for Eglon because we read that he, he loved his food. He was a big man, and even his name gives us a bit of an indication of the size of his body. Eglon, Eglon. So I want to make this point. He was huge. Like, he would pop the tires on a set of rollerblades. He was this big. 
a very fat man, the Bible calls him. The only place in the Bible that uses that term, very fat man. He's a big problem. So to get my head around how big he might have been, historians say his waist was 148 inches. That's three metres and 75 centimetres. So if you can picture that in your head, it's massive. I typed in fattest man in the world just to see if, if this is true. Came across a man by the name of Robert Earl Hughes. He was the fattest man in the 1960s. His waist was 128 inches, so a little bit smaller than King Eglon's. But he tipped the scales at 485 kgs, this, this man, fattest man in the world. So Eglon's maybe a little bit bigger than him. And the circumference of his arm, this fattest man in the world, was one metre. So if you can picture that, one metre circumference around his arm. He's big. King Eglon, he's so big that if he lied down on the beach, Greenpeace would come and put wet towels on him. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I need to make the point that he was a big problem. I've got more jokes, but I better leave them. <laughs> so he sets up his camp. He sets up his palace in the city of Palms, fruitful Jericho. And he starts to suck from the resources from there. And that's like sin in our life. Eglon represents sin in our life. It begins to suck from us. It sets up his palace. It's thrown in our hearts. And it begins to steal our fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. My grandma, she grew up in Rangoon in Burma, and they were a really wealthy family. They had a mansion, they had maids, servants, nannies. They, they lived the life that was going to be awesome for her until the war came and the Japanese invaded. They ended up taking over grandma's mansion as their headquarters, they came and they took the best part of Burma. They left my great-grandparents with nothing except the children they had and a few photos in their pockets, and they immigrated to New Zealand. That's our story. It's a picture of, of sin. It comes in and it takes from the best parts of us. It sucks us dry. Sin's pleasure is fleeting. It's exciting at the start, but that's only to lure us in, and then it sucks us dry. So we're going to do verse 15. Again, everybody say again. We see this pattern. Israel, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and gave them a deliverer. Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of a Benjamite. So finally the Israelites, they've had enough. There's no way out but to cry out to the Lord again. And he always provides a way out. He always provides a deliverer. And in this case... He provides Ehud. So Israel's judges, they weren't like our courtroom judicial judges today that sit there with their mallet and say, order in the court. They were like Israel's war heroes. They weren't superheroes like Batman and Robin and, and Wonder Woman. They were a bit quirky. They had flaws. But that's why I love these stories, because it shows how God can use people who are ordinary, people who are flawed. He can use them for his glory. Ehud was from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin means son of my right hand. And in Hebrew culture, the right hand means strength. We read in the Bible that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a place of authority, a place of power. What a cool name, son of my right hand. Only Ehud, he was left-handed. So he's got a little cross against his name. 
Are there any left-handed people here this morning? Colleen. Oh, Radar. We've got quite a few left-handed people. Um, that was considered to be a curse back, back, in the, back in the day. Not today, so you guys are all right. But parents used to tie their kids' left hands behind their backs so, to train them to use their right hand because it was a cross against their name. So Ehud, he's, he's left-handed. But if we look in the Hebrew of this, it, it says that he might have actually had a disability because he said his right hand was bound or shut up. So I would suggest that he actually had a disability. He couldn't actually use his right hand. So that's even more cross against his name. He's the unlikely hero of our story. He's the one that God used, which is what I love about this. So, verse 15, the Israelites sent him with a tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. The Israelites think it's a good idea to give King Eglon a gift. They're trying to appease him, trying to get him off their backs because he's quite harsh. What do you guys think they gave him? What do you give a big hungry guy as a gift? Yeah, I like it. So he's like, he had so massive that his blood type would be Nutella. <laughs> so they, I, I suggest that they, they give him some food. But, you know, that's not the way we deal with sin. If we feed sin, it only becomes bigger, more oppressive, and more dominating. So if we think about the word for sin, iniquity or transgression, transgression was actually going through with sin. Iniquity is when you have it in your head. It's like a premeditated, it's already in there. Like when Jesus says, if your eye looks upon a woman to lust after her, you've created committed adultery with her in your heart. So iniquity, and if we think about those little pictures in Hebrew, we see an eye, we see a hook, and we see a fish that's multiplying. This is iniquity, a, 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 a eye, a hook, and a fish multiplying. Whatever your eye hooks to, it multiplies. Whatever your eye catches on to, it becomes so big and dominating that it multiplies in your life and it becomes too hard to overbear. That's iniquity. That's sin. Isn't that amazing, the picture of sin? Whatever catches your eye, maybe you're on the computer, something catches your eye. If you think about it, it's going to hook you in and it's going to multiply. It's going to be too big, too overpowering for you to bear. Verse 16. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh, under his clothing. Ehud, he knows that feeding King Eglon is not the way to go. Feeding sin's not the best way, not the best thing to do. So he prepares, he, he makes a sword. Does that remind you guys of anything? There's a picture of a sword up here. What is a double-edged sword in the Bible? Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Ephesians 6.17, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's a picture of Ehud, who is like a man of God, who has done his preparation in the Word, and he knows what to do to get rid of this oppressive thing that is overpowering the Israelites. And he straps it, and he and he hides it under his clothing. Psalm 119.9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By living according to the word. Verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not, might not sin against you. He hides his sword. 
He's prepared and he knows what he has to do. Verse 18. Eglon gets his gift and the other men leave. But Ehud, he must have thought, oh man, I missed my opportunity. Doesn't that always happen when with God? You, you get told to do something and you feel like you've that it's all going to fall into place and sometimes it doesn't and you go away from the situation and you feel like you've missed your opportunity but Ehud, he turns around and he goes back to the king and he knows he has to make this opportunity for himself. He's heard God and he's been prepared and he knows what to do. Verse 20, I have a message from God for you. So King Eglon, he's dismissed everybody else. They're alone. Dun, 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 what's going to happen? I love this part. Verse 21. Ehud reached with his left hand, and he drew his sword from his right thigh, and he plunged it into the king's belly, and even the handle sunk in after the blade, and his bowels discharged. So I love what the original language says here. They call it dirt. And even the Bible's mocking King Eglon, so I'm actually allowed to mock him as well. The dirt comes out. I love that, the dirt comes out. The sword goes in, and the dirt comes out. The sword goes in, and the dirt comes out. What was the sword again? The Word of God. The Word of God goes in, and the dirt comes out. The Word of God goes in, and the dirt comes. So this is how we must reword it when we're talking to new Christians, non-believers, people who maybe are struggling with their faith. This is how we reword it. We don't say, you're always going to sin. We say, the word goes in and the dirt comes out. And then, then, the, then you, you, it helps you flee from sin. It helps you turn away from sin when the word goes into us. We've got to get it into us, whatever it takes. Husbands, do you know that you can change your wives? Oh, I'm, on, I'm on dodgy ground here. You can change your wives. Just give them some time each day to get into the Word. Hey, honey, why don't you just have some time by yourself? Here's your Bible. Go into your room. I'll look after the kids. Kids, leave mum alone for a bit. Hey, wives, did you know you can change your husbands? Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. Get them to life group. Get them to church. But you might say, Emma, my husband's not like that. He'll never read the Bible. Get yourself into the Word and speak kind words to him. The very words of God. You be his Bible, you be his church. End of verse 20. I like this part. Ehud did not pull the sword out. He left it in there, and the fat closed in over it. John McMahon, does that remind you of Isaiah 55? So it is with my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Every time the word goes into us, it does something to us and for us. Get the word into you, whatever it takes. I'm busy, but I love listening to the Bible, audio Bible, in the car, doing the washing, doing the cleaning. It makes doing the washing and the cleaning um, profitable. You feel like it's a bit of a time waste. It's, It's a mundane thing, but when you're listening to the word at the same time, it's awesome. And we have a Church Unlimited app. If you don't know how to get that on your phone, come and talk to me. There's an audio Bible on that. Lincoln and I play the audio Bible for our kids every night when they go to sleep. 
They may not be tired, but I know that they're lying there and they're listening to it. They are starting to know it off by heart. That's cool. So if we just go to slide eight, there's this old Indian legend that I love. And it's about a chief who has two buckets. And every day he has to get water for his tribe. And every day he fills up his buckets and he walks the long walk to back to his home. But one bucket was cracked and he decided to still use it. So he fills up the buckets and walks. One bucket's leaking and the other bucket is fine. And he gets to his home and one bucket is full and one bucket is not. The full bucket starts to <clears throat> mock the cracked bucket. I'm so glad I'm not like you. You're cracked. You're a bit useless, actually. I'm good. I, I know what I'm doing, and I've got a purpose. But you, you're, you're a bit stink. And the cracked pot started to realize, and he talked to the Indian chief about it. Hey, hey, Father, I'm, I'm a little bit cracked, and you're still using me, and I don't know why. Why don't you just chuck me away? I'm useless. Not worth anything. And the Indian chief said to this crackpot, next time we walk home, I want you to look up your path. So he did. And as they walked, there was lush vegetation. There were flowers, plants, fruit, vegetables. And he said to the crackpot, I knew you were cracked, but I decided to use you anyway. You're feeding my family. You have a purpose. Ehad was cracked too. He had a disability but that disability is the very thing that God used. Because, you know, if he was a right-handed man, he would have had his sword on the left side because they draw across their body. And the only reason why he probably got past the guards that day was because they were only frisking the left-hand side. So Ehad would have realized at that moment, this is the very reason why I'm left-handed and why God can use me. I can get past these guards. I love the way God uses our brokenness, our cracked parts, our bruises for his glory if we allow him to. Even because he had a disability, they may have even been more lenient on him getting past the guards. You may be here today and think, you're too far gone, where do I even start? It kind of reminds me of that story in Luke 18 about the Pharisee and the tax collector and they both turn up to church and the Pharisee's praying and he's like, I'm so glad I'm not like other people, you know, robbers, evildoers and adulterers and that tax collector. I'm so glad I'm not like them. And the tax collector, he's, he's a far off and he doesn't even want to look up to heaven and he just beats his chest. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, out of those two men, the tax collector went home justified. But you might say, Emma, my sin has caused too much pain. Pain in my life, pain in my family's life. God wouldn't want to use me. I'm broken, I'm cracked, and I'm bruised. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Sometimes the more cracks we have, the more opportunity it gives for God to shine through. The more powerful God becomes when he uses us for his glory, the more powerful, more famous he becomes. When we are weak, he is strong. God can use the cracks in your life to water the people around you. Four things, four things 
I'd love for you guys to take home today. Number one, cry out to the deliverer. Cry out to the deliverer for your salvation. If you're not sure whether you have passed from death to life, from hell to eternal life, cry out to the deliverer. Just like that tax collector, have mercy on me, a sinner. When we cry out for a deliverer, God always provides. If we can just go to slide 18 quickly. This is God's name in Hebrew. And I just love what this means for us. Remember we're reading left to right. This is Yahweh or Jehovah. A hand, a man with arms outstretched. A nail, a man with arms outstretched. Jesus died for us on the cross and it was written in the very name of God. A hand, which means strength, power and authority. The man with arms outstretched, that means behold. Look at this. Look what I've done. Behold. The nail that secured Jesus to the cross. Look what I've done. God poured out his love for us. While we were still sinners, he died for us. The gospel is written in the very name of God. Even before Jesus came, we know that he was with God before the creation of the world. If we go back to slide 15, we cry out to the deliverer for power over oppression, over sin, over bondage. We cry out to be delivered and God always provides a way out. Number one, we cry out for a deliverer to use our cracks for his glory. What's the most painful part of your life at the moment? You know, that's the area God will probably use you in when you get breakthrough. It's exciting. Number two, the word goes where? And the dirt comes where? The word goes in and the dirt comes out. Number two, make a commitment today to read this more. The more you read it, the, you just can't read it enough. The word goes in and the dirt comes out. Number three, let your cracks be used. And number four, share your breakthroughs. Do you want to know what happens at the end of the story? In Judges 3, 29, 30. Slide 16. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites. All lusty, which is fat. There's a lot of them. And all men of valor. No one escaped. That day Moab was made subject to Israel and the land had peace for 80 years. Ehud went back to his people and he said, follow me. I've overcome my big oppressor and you can do the same. And they strapped on their swords as well. He used his words to inspire a nation because he had gotten breakthrough. As Ehud shared his victory, it gave others the courage to do the same. Are you sharing your victories with your friends, with your family? Do you want your friends and family to have peace for 80 years? I know I do. If we look at that number 80, it's the picture of a mouth. Words. We need to share with people what God has done for us, our breakthroughs. We need to share our words and we need to share the word with people. This morning, I'd just like to pray if you'd like to bow your heads. God, this morning we're crying out to you because in your love, you always provide a way out. You always provide a deliverer for us. 
Holy Spirit, come right now and touch us. We're drawing close to you, Jesus, and we ask that you would overcome the oppressive things that are in our lives, those big Eglon moments, those Eglon decisions, those things that have haunted us for years, maybe 18 years, that have put us in bondage. So this morning, God, we make a stand that we are going to use your word to get rid of bondage and the power of your name. We worship you this morning.